Amen. As we just heard from the scriptures, Jesus Christ was arrested on the eve of the Passover festival, and he was crucified the next day on a Friday. Though he was the Son of God, he put up no resistance. He bore his own cross up the hill. He bore the injustice of Pilate's court and the insults of the crowd. He suffered whips on his back and nails through his flesh and bones. And at last, he was struck down by death and offered up his final breath. The images from the story Christina just read, pictures of blood and death, loss and sorrow, guilt and wrath, punishment. And yet, in spite of that, we call this Friday good. Christians devote Good Friday to remember the death of Jesus, the crucifixion of Jesus. The songs we sing, the scriptures we read, the gospel passage we just read are not just to remember Jesus' death, but in a real sense, to relive it, to participate in it. So in the middle of this night on which we relive the gruesome scene of Jesus' crucifixion, what we're doing now is opening up the scriptures to ask, what is the meaning of this service? What is the significance of that passage in John 19 that Christina just read? If you have a Bible, would you open with me to the Old Testament book of Exodus, chapter 12. Exodus 12, 1 through 28, records the institution of the Passover feast in ancient Israel. It's a law code, God instructing the people how to keep the Passover feast. But as Hansley reminded us earlier in his prayer, the New Testament calls Jesus our Passover lamb. In Jesus, we find the substance of that this Old Testament festival pointed forward to. And in the Old Testament, we find the explanation of the man on the cross. In fact, the cross is the true Passover sacrifice. Jesus is the true Passover lamb. So tonight, as, as we read this text from the Old Testament, from Exodus 12, we're looking for two things. These laws in the Passover text will instruct us on what the cross means. In fact, that it's God's means of mercy to us. It'll instruct our minds in that way. But this text also instructs our hearts in how we're supposed to respond to the cross. And as we said, it's by reliving the crucifixion because God's mercy defines who we are. So would you listen then as I read the word of God in Exodus 12, and we'll look at this text together. This is the word of the Lord. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, 
This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's house, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he shall then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons. According to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the fourth day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then, Take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire. With unleavened bread and bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled, but roasted, its head and its legs with its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. But in this manner you shall eat it with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beasts, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. But the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be for you a memorial day. And you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. As a statute forever, you shall keep it as a feast. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven out of your houses. For if anyone eats what is leavened from the first day until the seventh, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day you shall hold a holy assembly. On the seventh day a holy assembly. No work shall be done on those days. But what everyone needs to eat, that alone may be prepared by you. And you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread. For on this very day, I brought your hosts out of the land of Egypt. Therefore, you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a statute forever. In the first month from the 14th day of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the 21st day of the month at evening. For seven days, no leaven is to be found in your houses. If anyone eats what is leavened, that person will be cut off from the congregation of Israel. What whether he is a sojourner or a native of the land. You shall eat nothing leavened in all your dwelling places. You shall eat unleavened bread. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourself according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. And none of you shall go out of the door of the house in the morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. 
And when he sees the blood over the door, on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your house to strike you. You shall observe this right as a statute for you and your sons forever. And when you come into the land that the Lord will give you as he has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for he has passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. And the people bowed his heads, bowed their heads and worshiped. And the people of Israel went and did so. As the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. It's a long passage of laws. But tonight we read them because the Passover instructs us how to understand the cross. When the Apostle Paul writes about the Old Testament in 1 Corinthians 10, 11, he says this. He says, these things happened to them, to the people of Israel, as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. It's a remarkable thing to say. It means that though the Passover happened thousands of years ago, its fullest meaning is revealed to us in the light of Christ. So, how does this passage shed light on Israel? Let's look through it. The context here. Though Israel was in the bonds of slavery in Egypt, and the Lord had promised to free them, this, this sacrifice of the Passover is not directly related to being released from slavery yet. That's what the Feast of Unleavened Bread touch, touches on, which we'll talk about Sunday and the next week. But the Passover specifically gives instructions on how the people might avoid the, the judgment of God, the tenth plague, which is when God would come and strike dead the firstborn in every household. In Exodus, the plagues represent God's judgment, but God's justice. God's judgment against evil and wickedness and crookedness in the world. Those in Egypt who rejected God and did evil against other people, they were met with plagues. God is the one who defines what right and wrong is. That's why God is a God who judges and punishes, because he's a God who is good. He's the creator of the world, the upholder of justice. Passover, in this case, first begins to teach us in Scripture that sin has a cost. Wrongs must be righted in order for justice to be done. And God cares about justice. And even we know this deep down. When we see evils of particularly egregious kinds, we know they need to be righted, that justice must be done for them. And God knows that more truly than we do. But every household of Israel was to sacrifice a lamb in order to be distinguished in order to be marked off as God's people 
rather than God's enemies. Because though God is just and will not leave sin unaddressed, he provides a just way for people to be forgiven. He doesn't ignore evil, but provides a just way for sin to be addressed. That way is a sacrifice. God's means of mercy is a sacrifice. The path God gives to mercy is a sacrifice. On Good Friday, we remember that Jesus Christ died not in vain on Calvary, not on accident, not as some historical tragedy, but given. His life was not taken from him, but given as a sacrifice, given as the Passover lamb designed to, to deliver his people from sin and slavery. How does that work, though? How can the death of someone else do any good for me? How can the death of a lamb do any good for Israel? In other words, how, how do we participate in God's means of mercy? The instructions for the Passover shed light on that for us as well. Because we see in verses 7 through 11, the Lord explains that Israel was not supposed to just kill a lamb. They were supposed to participate in God's mercy by applying that sacrifice to their household, by putting it over themselves. In that case, in a very literal sense, they were to take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel over the doorway of the house. And then, having spread the blood, they were to hide in their household until the morning. Why that? Why paint your doorway with blood? The Lord himself explains in verses 12 and 13. He says, For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beasts. But he says, The blood shall be a sign for you and on the houses where you are. And, and when I see the blood, no plague will befall you to destroy you. This is where the name Passover comes from. He says, I will pass over the houses where you are. The blood of the lamb, because of that, the Lord's judgment will pass over and the people will be spared. In, in the original language, it's almost a pun that the word Passover can mean literally Passover or it can mean to be spared of something. There's wordplay there. Why should a lamb's blood deter the judgment of God, though? What does this symbolize for us? It's not that this text is claiming that the death of an animal has any sort of magic power to it. It's not that there's anything powerful in blood itself. Hebrews 10.4 says it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. But the blood is a sign for the people. When I see it, I will pass over you. The word sign is the key here. God means for his people to have a means of mercy. God is faithful to his creation. When we sin, when we tell our creator, I want to be God and not you, judgment is the just response to that. But God has not given up on his creation. He has not 
decided to annihilate his creation, but to redeem it. He has desired to provide redemption rather than destruction in response to sin. And so, he provides a way out. The book of Exodus, that name means the way out. He provides a sign to define those who will take the Lord's way out. And we're reading here in Exodus a text of instructions, commands to follow or not to follow, to take the sign or reject it. The decisive power in the blood on the door and the lintel is not any magic power in the blood or anything like that. The decisive power is that the Lord sees it and finds it acceptable. The sign works because God is the one who provided it. And so when the Israelites obey and put the sign over their door, they show their trust in God. They show, God, I take you at your word. I will take your way out. I trust in your means of mercy. The flip side of that is that no one is saved who refuses God's means of mercy. Even in this text, we see the people of of Israel who reject these instructions. If you look at verses 15 and 19, people who reject or refuse to follow these instructions are cut off from the land of Israel. In the Old Testament, Israel was not defined at the end of the day by ethnicity, but by fidelity to God's word. To reject God's word was to be cut off from Israel. But again, these instructions are written down for us. None of us can say that God has not given us a way out from sin and from judgment. None of us can say that God has abandoned us in our sin, left us in our misery without escape. The book of Romans takes this theme up in chapter 3. Paul says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Each of us is guilty before God. Each of us has committed some sin in our heart. Each of us was born into a sort of slavery to sin. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But he continues saying, All, without distinction, anyone may be justified through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation for his blood. Propitiation means a sacrifice that clears away wrath and judgment. That means that the blood of Jesus is the final sign that God gives, the sign of salvation, which was foreshadowed in the sign on the doorposts at Passover. But at the end, the ultimate sign that God provides is Christ. He's the one God provided, put forward. And note how the sacrifice that God requires, who does it cost? It sounds transactional and strange of God to require a sacrifice from us, but at the end of the day, who pays the price of the sacrifice? God. God provides a sacrifice at cost to himself, his own son. He no longer requires that you give a lamb from yourself, but he has provided a final lamb. Jesus' death on the cross is God's 
means of mercy for us. That's what it means to say Jesus is the true Passover lamb. He is God's means of mercy to us. So when we, by faith, put the blood of Christ, so to speak, over the doorway of our souls, when we put that sacrifice over ourselves, God looks at it and passes over us with his judgment. God looks at it and is satisfied. God looks at the blood of Christ and passes by forever. That's what we mean by calling Jesus the ultimate Passover sacrifice, the final one. It causes God's wrath to be satisfied, the payment to be fulfilled. The blood in the sacrifice is just a sign. There's no power in blood, but it is a meaningful sign. In a sacrifice, the blood is meant to represent the life of the thing given. The life of the lamb is forfeit for the household to live in Exodus. So it is on the cross. When we talk about blood, the blood of Christ, the life of Christ poured out. God looks on the life of Christ and his wrath is satisfied. And then he is pleased to look on us as sons and daughters. So we've spoken to what the the sort of logic of how is it that the cross is good news for us. Let's just summarize what we've said. The cross is illumined by Passover. Passover in Exodus 12 instructs us that each of us is bound to a sort of slavery to sin. Each of us is in need of rescue from an impending just judgment. We are burdened with a weight of guilt and a misery of circumstance that we cannot free ourselves from. Passover in Exodus 12 instructs us that God has provided a way out, though. He has given us a means of mercy, and that's a sacrifice. He gives a sacrifice that's costly to him, not to us, because he poured out his own blood in Christ Jesus. And third, we benefit from that sacrifice. We participate in it by putting the blood on our doorway, taking that sign by faith and saying, God, I hear you and I trust that your sign is sufficient. By faith. The Lord's Passover is the means of God's mercy to his people. And that's why Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of Passover. Friends, I don't know what kind of misery your slavery to sin has brought to you in your life. I do know that among us here, we've probably run the gamut. I know there are those here who are bitter inside. Maybe bitter at the world and the state it's in perhaps bitter at God for an unmet expectation or unanswered prayer. There are those of us here indignant at the pain we've suffered or the pain that's befallen people we love. There are those among us here who are ashamed 
of things we've done, things we've left undone, shame at things we've said or left unsaid. To be human is to experience guilt in some way. The Bible calls this our state of sin. To be yoked with guilt, heavy with sadness, calloused by years of doubts, or laden with suspicion, disillusioned in institutions, angry at authorities. I don't know what it is that afflicts you. Scripture testifies that something afflicts all of us. You don't owe me any account. What I'm declaring tonight is that God will call each of us to account. He will call to account, this is the good news, the evils that have befallen you, and he will make them right. The bad news is he will leave no sin unpunished, not even yours, not mine. God is good. He leaves no injustice unrectified, no evil unaddressed. That's what it means for God to be good. That's what it means for him to be just. We cannot call God unjust. God who has promised to rectify every wrong, but the people of God keep Good Friday and call it good because God has made a way that someone else can take the punishment due to us. Because the good God, the just God, is also, as we sang tonight, the merciful God. The merciful God who has not given up on his creation, who has not abandoned it to its own devices, who will see creation to its end in Christ, who will see this world, crooked as it is, straightened. And his means of doing that is his Passover lamb. Because the blood of the man who died on the cross today has given us a sign of salvation. There is no other way. This is the means God has given. But if anyone hears his word and believes and appeals to God by the cross we read about today, if anyone spreads the blood of Christ across their doorway, God will look on Christ and pass over you. We cannot say God has left us without a way out. He has provided it richly in Christ. In, in a text like Exodus, he has explained it. He has knelt down and explained it to us. Hear the instruction, the good teaching, the law of the Lord. The question then is, what do we do with these instructions? What is our response to them? We spoke earlier about reliving, about walking through the crucifixion narrative. In addition to teaching us how to just mentally understand the cross, Exodus 12 teaches us how to respond to the cross. We should respond by reliving it or, or participating in it, just as Israel applied the sacrifice to their houses. That sounds abstract. Let me explain what it means. Consider this text in Exodus as our, our analogy, our explanation of the cross. In one sense, this is a set of instructions for what Israel was supposed to do on one night in order to avoid the judgment of God. 
But note, in verse 14, God extends the Passover feast and says this, This day shall be for you a memorial day, a day of remembrance, and you you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. As a statute forever, you shall keep it as a feast. The key word here is memorial or, or a day of remembrance. That means more than that the Passover was a religious holiday or something that God told them, do this sacrifice and don't forget it. It's kind of important. It was something they were meant to relive each year because this sacrifice defined who Israel was. In verse 2, the Lord says, This month shall be the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. This event was not just of immediate significance, but of perpetual significance. They were reorienting their whole year around this. The whole orbit of their lives had shifted because of the Passover. They relived the Passover and reoriented their lives around it. They were to become the people defined by God's mercy. This event defines the relationship between God and his people. God will ever be the God who showed them mercy and saved them. They will ever be the people who are free rather than slaves, who live rather than die because of God's mercy. That's why the festival that God commands symbolically reenacts the events. You reenact the slaughtering of the lamb and the painting of the lintel with the blood because God's mercy makes them who we are, who they are. It makes God their God. They participate in this sacrifice for generations because that's who they are. And friends, that's what we're here to do today to relive, to participate in the crucifixion of Jesus. Not just to not forget it. Not just to think about it abstractly. How do we do that? In a moment, Pastor Tad will come up and will take the Lord's Supper. When Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, it was on the night of Passover. And Jesus breaks the bread and takes the cup. He says, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood poured out for you. Do this in remembrance of me. That word remembrance is the same one used elsewhere for the Passover as a memorial. The the Lord's Supper is a memorial. Its elements reenact the gospel. Because if you're a Christian, that event on Calvary that happened on Good Friday, defines who you are. You ever worship and serve the God who paid your debt for you. He ever is the God who at great cost to himself saved you. We're here tonight to keep Jesus' crucifixion as a memorial. Not to think about it dispassionately. Not to probe into a historical event with interest, but to participate in it, to recognize our need reflected in the gruesomeness of Jesus' death. If you're a Christian, it defines your identity. It defines the identity of church on mill. Why do we follow this God? Because of what he did for me on the cross. 
Christians keep the Passover in this sense. We can say we are obedient to the commands of Exodus 12 because we keep the crucifixion of Jesus as a memorial at the table of the Lord's Supper. So tonight, as we remember in the sense of reliving, as we relive the crucifixion, let's ask, how practically do we do that? There are one of two different ways you might be called to do that tonight to relive and reflect on the crucifixion. The first we've alluded to, if you are a Christian, if by God's mercy you have been freed from slavery to sin and set free by the blood of Christ, relive the crucifixion tonight through the Lord's Supper. Remember that God's mercy makes you who you are. Before this mercy, you were trapped in your sin. You were broken by it. You were twisted in your desires, lost in your thinking, guilty in your sin, but God called you out of Egypt. Christ was nailed to the cross so that God would not condemn you. So when when you take the blood, the, the cup in your hands tonight, and we confess together, this is the blood of Christ you're doing something tantamount to spreading the blood of the lamb on the doorposts. You're taking that sign over you by faith. You're saying to yourself, this cup is a sign of what God has done for me in Christ. And at the same time, you're saying to God, this cup is my sign of faith in Christ. Because of this blood, God, pass over me. Do not punish me for the wrong that I've done, but have mercy on me. I have put my faith in the sacrifice you provided, what you put forth. I trust. I trust it's sufficient for me. Pass over me. Save me. We relive that experience we first had when we first believed as a Christian continually by continually together taking that sign together, saying, this is Christ's blood poured out for me. You're saying to God, save me anew today, just as you did the first day I believed. We spoke of two ways, though. Perhaps you're here tonight and you're not a Christian. First of all, we're glad you're here. If you've not put your faith in Christ in this sense, first of all, we urge you, do not take the cup or the bread. In the first place, it would, be, it would be meaningless for you. Just as we said there's no power in the blood of a lamb, neither is there any magic or power in the cup of grape juice or the wafer of bread that we have here. They can't help you. And God commands not to take the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. So instead, I would just urge you tonight to reflect on what we've said. And I would declare to you that you, whether you realize it or not, whether you recognize it or not, you are in need of freedom. You are in need of a sacrifice on your behalf because the judgment of God is impending on us all. You've just heard the testimony about Jesus' crucifixion in John 19, about the Son of God who offered a sacrifice, and you've heard instruction on it 
from Exodus 12 telling you to trust in this blood of the sacrifice, that it would be a sign of salvation for you. The question is, will you accept that or will you reject it? One more thing to consider then. If you have yet to believe, I I urge you as we take this Lord's Supper, not to take it, but to ask as we did in the start, what is the meaning of this service? Look again with me at verses 26 and 27. Moses instructs the people about um, what they should say to their children when they take the Passover sacrifice, how they should instruct people who do not yet understand He says, when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. You may or may not be a child, but if you do not yet trust in the blood of Christ, these passages, these two verses are addressed to you. What I mean is this, you're about to watch a multitude of people in this church make the proclamation. When we take the the, the bread and the cup, we're saying something to ourselves as a Christian. We're saying, this represents what Christ did for me. We're saying something to God. We're saying, God, this represents my faith in Christ. We're also making a proclamation to the world watching, to you, our friends here who may not yet believe, making a proclamation that we are the people defined by this mercy. We are the people who are free rather than slaves, living rather than dead because of the blood of Christ. You're about to watch a multitude of people make that proclamation. Proclaiming that this blood of Christ that we read about is a sign over us and that we declare in light of that God's judgment has passed over us, not because of our merits, not because we're better than anybody else, not because we've done anything to deserve it, not because of our background, not because of our morality or our urbaneness, because of what Christ has done for us, because God put forward a sacrifice on our behalf at cost to himself because of his great love for us. That's the meaning of this service. That's why a text about the execution of an innocent man is good news, because he is God's Passover lamb. God's people relive Christ's Passover sacrifice because it is the means of God's mercy to us. So once more, if if you've yet to believe, you can partake of Christ's sacrifice for the first time and keep it as the means of God's mercy to you forever. The judgment impending on us all can pass over you. I urge you to put up the blood of Christ as a plea in faith to God. He will let his judgment pass over you, and he will look on you as a son or a daughter. Let's receive the mercy of Christ crucified and participate Relive by faith the blessings received therein. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that as we respond to what Christ has done, 
you would convict us of our sins, that we would cry out to you, that you have justly condemned us, but that you freely offer us mercy. We thank you for that mercy and pray that we would receive it gladly in faith. You are good and kind and gracious. God, I pray that for those of us who are Christians, this reflection on the gospel, this rehearsal or reliving of the crucifixion would give us a rock-solid assurance that our future, our life, our justification lies not in ourself, but in what you have done in Christ Jesus, whom you put forward. We love you and we thank you. Amen.